I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. On this week's edition, we're going to bring you more extracts recorded live at the BFI at my MK3D show. Two fabulous guests on this week's podcast recorded live at MK3D. Coming up in a moment, poet, writer and all-round creative force B. Manzini. And then a wonderful on-stage encounter with the great Richard Dreyfus. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Beautiful crowd. Oh, look at you. Now, begin by telling me what Caramel Film Club is. Yeah, and I have to make a correction. I didn't found Caramel Film Club, but I do run it. It was actually founded by Dave Knight. And I was an audience member, and I went along because Caramel Film Club spotlights films with black leads or black directors or black writers. Um, And I think it shouldn't be a privilege to see reflections of yourself on screen. So it's definitely something that I wanted to support. Um, And then he took some time out for various reasons and things went really, really quiet. And I make as well, I make short film. So um, I had my second film out and I thought, why not do it in conjunction with Caramel Film Club, see what happens. We had three shows, they sold out, and it was a mix of me showing my poetry film and doing live performance. Um, And that was a format that was really innovative and people really liked, so that's how I got involved in Caramel Film Club. The last um, screening we did was with Amma Santo, where hands touched and we had a QA and a with her. Amma has been a regular on this show and a huge fan of her work, and she's always, she speaks so brilliantly about her, her films anyway. Explain to me the intersection between film and poetry, and please bear in mind that what I know about poetry would not fill the back of a very small postage stamp. So talk to me, as, as they say in, in, in arbitrage, as if you're sp- speaking to a very small child or a Labrador puppy. Oh, OK. <laughs> I don't usually speak to Labradors, but I'm going to try just for you. Um, so the intersection is very much about having a response that's outside of the film but inspired by it. It actually might work better if I read a poem. Shall I that, that, that would be fantastic, yeah. yes. Um, so let Would me. Would you like to stand or sit? I'm going to sit right. if that's all right. I think I'm comfortable. Um, so I want to contextualise this poem because this poem I read um, on tour with Bird's Eye View, which we can talk about later. Yeah. But um, it's called Storyteller, and I was on tour with two films The Kindergarten Teacher and Wild Rose. And both. Both of, of which I love. Yeah. 
I mean, amazing films. How many people in the audience have seen it, seen either of them? Wild Rose, many, I would think. Yeah. Less kindergarten teacher. Yeah, so to contextualise kindergarten teacher, um, it's about Lisa Spinelli, who is a kindergarten teacher, and she is an unfulfilled poet. And she discovers that she has um, a student in her class who's five uh, called Jimmy, who is this amazing protege and he's absolutely brilliant. And she becomes really, really obsessed by him. Um, and so that was the context of that. And then Wild Rose, we know Jessie Buckley. And she is, um, yeah, she desires to be a country singer. So this poem is called A Storyteller. This is a rally call for all the storytellers, even those who don't yet know they are. The sensitives, the creativists, the dictionaries, the revisers, the ink beautifiers, the dark takers, the light makers, the emotion stalkers, the musical talkers, the form fiddlers, the seed planters, the language gardeners, the water finders, the soul sprinklers, the story takers, the truth ringers, the heart tinkerers, the tear collectors, the mind confectioners, the laugh inducers, the ordinary oracles, the human story portals. Every time you raise your pen, a mic, a lens, an emotion, revive a wish-filled word, your story, Fact, fiction, poetry, prose, the in-between, if you dare to share it, somewhere, someone will rise and call you by your name. And gather. Um, <laughs> so, it's beautiful. Do you write... Do you write whilst watching the film, or after? Do you, does, it, does it form as a response to what you're watching? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's quite immediate. I mean, with Wild Rose, I wrote a number of um, a number of poems, and it was just such a beautiful and moving film. And Jesse Buckley and Julie Waters in it, like their relationship, really touched me. Um, and in terms of whispering, Bob Harris saying to Rose Lynn, you know, write your own stuff, you can do it. Um, I very much encourage people to do that. And I, and I love the moment where she says, what do you want me to write about, you know, um, a bucket in a broom? Mm -hmm. She didn't have a sense of being able to tell her story. Um, but everything that I do, whether I'm writing, whether I'm creating events for Caramel Film Club, is about empowering people and allowing them to occupy the spaces that they can occupy. Now, you wrote a haiku after seeing Apollo 11, yeah? I did. I'm going to ask you, firstly, explain what a haiku is. Mm -hmm. So a haiku is a Japanese form of poetry, and it's very tight in terms of you have to have the first line with five syllables, the second with seven, and the third with five as well. So the whole idea about it is that you capture a moment of beauty or an epiphany in a very succinct way. So don't blink when I read it, because you could miss it. Okay, here we go. The world worships men who risk it all to become celestial beings.
And, and the funny thing about that is that that took me so much longer to write than any of my two-page poems because I kept I was out in the syllable count. I was like, oh. yeah, but brevity is always the most difficult thing. And I mean, as, as you know, any filmmaker can make a long film. It's really hard to make a short film. I saw Apollo Eleven today um, just before I came here, and I was. It's a documentary about the the moon landing, and I was absolutely terrified. I thought it was brilliant, but I the sense of people being in those tin cans, I mean, tin cans hurtling at 27,000 miles an hour into space, I thought was really, really overwhelming. And it, it, I, it, it's not something that I kind of really contemplated before, but I, I thought it was a really, really powerful experience. Um, tell me about, um, about Bird's Eye, because obviously, actually, we've had uh, one of the Bird's Eye programmers on, on here before. Tell us what it is and, and, and what, the, what the purpose of it is. Yeah, I should say that Mia Bayes is in the audience who runs, yeah, she's here, she runs Bird's Hello, Eye Mia. Um, and so Bird's Eye View is um, a mission to bring larger audiences or ever larger audiences um, to films that focus on women um, or from a female perspective. And so Reclaim the Frame is the programme that I was attached to as the yeah. poet on tour. And so there were films like uh, Been So Long, of course, Wild Rose, The Kid Garden Teacher. Um, there's been Birds of Passage as well, which I absolutely loved. And so the programme is growing and growing, and so are the audiences, which is fantastic. It's backed by the BFI as well. And what sort of, uh, what sort of audiences do you get? People who are uh, interested in cinema or people who are interested in, in poetry? Who comes along? I think it's people that are fundamentally interested in film, but I think what's nice about my contribution to it is that they can access the work in a different way. So one of the things that I've done is perform, obviously, but also run workshops so people can come and respond to the films themselves. And that's been um, absolutely amazing. Amir also runs um, Sundance London. She's the producer for that. So off the back of our evolving relationship, I then became the first ever writer in residence for Sundance London. So I'm used to firsts. It's a thing. You, uh, I'm going to ask you to do a second. Do you, you don't have another poem with you. I, I know I only asked you to bring two up, but do you have another? Because I really enjoyed that one so much. Could you read us another one? Yeah, I can, definitely. Um, so, that, all right, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. kind of putting you on the spot. So, do another song. <laughs> it's fine. So this one is actually from Sundance. Okay. So um, it's from Late Night. And um, I really enjoyed it. I thought um, Emma Thompson was really cracking in it. Um, and it's really lovely to see uh, Mindy Kaling just also take the lead. I mean, how many Indian American actresses have that kind of profile? Because she wrote it and she's co-stars in it, so yeah. Yeah, so it was really, really great. Um, and there was a moment in the film that really, really made me laugh. And for those of you who've seen it, just to contextualise, um, Molly's um, character is out with Charlie and he invites her to come back home. And then says this like really funny line about she can't come back home with him. She has to wait three weeks because of feminism. And I was like, okay, that's a really memorable line. And then it made me think about how many times do we hear indelible lines when we're being chatted up or someone's trying to convince us or coerce us to do something. And so I went, as you do, to social media and I asked people, I was like, what chat up lines have you heard? Um, that are really, really memorable, and it was a great thread, I tell you. But off the back of that line and my Facebook thread, I wrote um, this poem. Actually, shall I share some of the, the chat up lines that came back? Go ahead. Can I buy you a drink, or do you just want the cash? <laughs> yep. Seriously? Seriously. Do you believe in love at first sight, or shall I walk by again? 
That's quite, quite sweet, though. A little bit cheesy. Sweet, but slightly sinister. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my friend really wants to talk to you. He says he likes the arrangement of your teeth. <laughs> That's a cracker for me. And the last one I'm going to share is, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> and, and so this is my response to all of that. That guy, oh, that guy that can make your loins leak with a look, who with a mere whisper without even a touch fashions your nipples into bullets. He's as sexy as any superhero on screen. You may feel armed and dangerous, but you can't win this war. He is Captain Heartbreak with powers to erase a once logical mind in seconds. Fly away while you are still in lust. His speech bubbles ignored because there's nothing as deadly, nothing that will blind you to your own beauty as trying to smash down the force field of a cartoon of a man that will never let in love. I have to say, I think we've waited far too long to have poetry on, uh, on, on MK3. I think we're going to do it more often. Um, what are you doing next? Where, where can people see you out about next? Yeah, so um, the next thing I'm doing tour-wise is with Bird's Eye View, and the theme is going to be obsession. So I'm going to be doing some performances and workshops around the, those themes, and we're going up and down the country. So we'll be in London and Exeter and Glasgow, and you can find out all that information on the Bird's Eye View website. And then with Caramel Film Club, we're going to be doing some screenings um, later on in the summer. I have to keep you posted. Contracts are still being signed. Um, and um, I'm working on my next short film as well. Which is? Um, it's going to be a continuation of the first one. So the first film that I I wrote was called This Is Not A Thank You. I'm a little bit in love with love. So it's about heartbreak and a woman getting over that. And so um, this one delves a little bit deeper into that relationship. And when will that be finished? That will be finished by the end of the year. Okay. When it's finished, will you come back? I would love to come back. Well, yeah, without, if, you, if you would, I would absolutely love it and come back on and, uh, you know, maybe we can see some of it and you can do some more poems for us. I would love that. Thank Ladies and gentlemen, B. Manzini. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
You entered the competition! And the final three lottery winner names, Connor Cranston, Adrian Shimaniti, Angus Stewart. You're going to be an astronaut. Can I come? What? Time to fly. I ain't gonna get another opportunity. And I'd be a damn fool to let this one pass. You know I have to do this. I know. You do. He's a brilliant man. He still is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me a huge pleasure to welcome to MK3D, Richard Dreyfus. Richard, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you uh, on the on the show. So, uh, Astronaut opens on Friday, and it's it's a really really charming film, and it's not what I expected at all. Um, do you want to say a little bit about how it, how you, how you came to be in it and how the film came into being? Sure. Um, I was sent a script, and the script was about an old man many years retired, who finds himself in a position where he could be awakened into his oldest and most cherished wish. And he says, I'll go for it. And really it's about something that is so normal and so uh, ubiquitous. It's like everyone has these things. And, and then it's married to the most audacious of all endeavors, reaching into space. And it works because that's who we are and that's what we live with. And this man goes for it because there's no reason on earth why not. So that's what it's about. And he explains to um, to the young boy that it, you know, that the, the charm is almost to do with seeing everything in perspective. Do you, I mean, are you somebody, we were talking about Apollo uh, 11 earlier on with B, are you somebody who actually has a natural fascination with, so did you want to go into space when you were a boy? Yes, <laughs> of course I did. And on, the, uh, on that day in 1969, when we landed on the moon, um, I have reservation number 86. And I... I uh, I thought I'd be you know one of the early ones, and 
I then realized that my one of my best friends, Albert Brooks, the comic, yeah. he had reservation number 11. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a rumor that floats around, I don't know if it's true, um, that Steven Spielberg had the number two position after the Challenger, that he was gonna be the second civilian to go up. And it would not surprise me at all, judging from what I knew of Stephen and, and what I knew of those feelings. And uh, it was perfect. You made Close Encounters with Steven Spielberg, which I think for a, a lot of people, I mean, I remember going to see it, I was always a science fiction fan, but the thing I loved about Close Encounters was it didn't feel like a science fiction film. It felt like it was actually, it felt very real. I mean, I had never heard the thing about, you know, the three times citing evidence contact, but I, the minute I'd seen it, I thought, okay, that's it. It's a real film about extraterrestrial contact. Yes. You have good memories of making it. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. I'm blessed. I'm, I have, I think I have only good memories of my whole life. So if that counts for anything. Um, I, uh, when we were making Jaws, uh, Stephen started to let me in on the secret of what his next film was going to be about. And when I realized what he was actually intending, I, I turned into Iron Soul or something. And I said to myself, I'm going to play that part whether he knows it or not. <laughs> I mean it. And I then did something I've never done before or since. I badmouthed every actor in Hollywood. <laughs> I used to walk by his office and I would say, Pacino has no sense of humor. <laughs> or, uh, or um, let me see, who else? Uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is trouble. <laughs> trouble. And I got the part on the day that I said, Stephen, you need a child. And he looked up at me and said, you got the part. <laughs> because he knew that I was telling him the truth, that the character of Roy Neary needed to be childlike, not childish, but childlike, and that that was a given within the whole story. It was the given that this person had to have the sense of awe and wonder that was the key to unlocking this strange little um, journey that they had implanted in his head. And uh, I... I knew that. I knew it before Stephen did. And now, and since then, uh, Stephen has said that if he had been married with children, he would never have done the film. 
with the same ending. Yeah, in which Roy Neary goes off into the spaceship and leaves I, behind his family. And I said, with all due respect to Stephen, bullshit. <laughs> because there is no other ending to that film. I mean, I don't care. You've seen the film. You know it. You, you gonna, are you going to let him get away with that? <laughs> Richard, can I, will you indulge me? Can I show a scene from the film, which, which, I, which I love? Partly I love it because I find it quite disturbing, and partly I love it because it's a brilliant piece of silent acting by you, and much as I love the sound of your voice, I actually love this scene because it, I, I'm a huge fan of silent movies, and I think what you're doing in this film is silent movie acting. Is that okay? Well, I guess you've noticed something that's a little strange with Dad. It's okay, though. I'm still Dad. I can't describe it, what I'm feeling. What I'm thinking. This means something. This is important. It's just such a brilliant scene. Do you do you remember? the day of filming, do you remember, was it as intense as it looks? Because you do appear to be completely in the character, believing that this thing is important but nobody understands him. And it rides that line between tragedy and comedy. Yeah, I remember every minute of that day. I remember every, every, uh, every um, file cabinet for every uh, unknown, appropriate place for feelings that he had that he never understood and could not explain. And I, I had such respect for Stephen, who came up with it all, that uh, this is the only film I've ever done that I think has has a right right ambition to achieve a nobility about film. And I'm not exaggerating that point. If film lasts as a subject, as an, as an art form to be studied for three or four or five hundred years. This will be the first one. This will be the one that justifies the whole storytelling in, uh, impulse. It's, it's big. It's a huge attempt it's a huge attempt, and I think it totally works. There's not a moment of failure in the whole story, and it's not easy. And one has to in have incredible 
respect for Steven Spielberg for him to come up with this idea. And the, the thing that people may or may not get is that Steven, Steven believes in this film in the sense that in the sense that he knows that there's nothing to fear by looking up. And that phrase, that phrase was the exact phrase that he first tried to market the film with. There's nothing to fear looking up. There's nothing to fear from looking up. And, and you see Roy you know, in the turmoil of his personal loves and, and, and affections and totally unable to explain it and totally unable to understand what is really going on here. And, you know, until the last few frames of the film, you don't either. If the message of uh, Close Encounters is there's nothing to fear looking up, can I show a clip from Jaws in which there's a lot to fear from looking down? <laughs> which will only go to show you that um, I played Dick Cheney. <laughs> the defense rests. <laughs> right, come on, let's have a look. Give me your hands. Dogfish, and you got a $5,000 net, you got $2,000 worth of fishing, and along comes Mr. Whitey. By the time he's finished with that net, looks like a kiddie scissor class has cut it up for a paper doll. You got city hands, Mr. Hooper. You've been counting money all your life. All right, all right, hey, I don't need this. I don't need this working class hero crap. You, you, you're not going to do this aboard the ship, are you, Mr. Quinn? Maybe I should go alone. Uh, it's my party. It's my charter. It's your charter. It's your party. It's my vessel. You're on board my vessel. Mate, master, pilot, and I'm captain. Take him for ballast, chief. That, I mean, the reason the reason Jaws works is because of the characters. I mean, not because of the shark, but because of those characters. Those three people stuck together on that boat, and that tension between your character and Robert Shaw's character, between you know the college boy and one who knows the stuff, and then rah, this kind of guy doing the old man in the sea thing. Um, how was that represented between the two of you? Because I've read something which you've said that working with Robert Shaw, he kind of sort of played up to that while you were on set in order to make the relationship feel more. Brittle. No. No, no, no. Um, someone about 15, 20 years ago decided that he was going to spread the story that Robert and I had a feud going. Oh, no, it was no sense that you didn't get on, but just that, that you know, that, that that kind of playing it on thing. No, I mean, you clearly got on, but... Yeah, we clearly did get on. You can't work with someone and not get on like that. Yeah. And what happened was that people were kind of puzzled and stunned and, and uh, entertained by the notion that I would have a, even a, a 
tiny feeling of anger, hostility, or whatever, and it was just nonsense. But was he not scary in character? I mean, I've been on that boat with him in terms of watching it, and that thing when they're all sitting around crying, I think he's scary. Because he's acting, because he acts brilliantly, and you act like you're scared of him, which I know it's all, I do understand that acting isn't real. <laughs> I do understand that. But I tell you, I can watch Jaws, and people say, yeah, it was a rubber shark, I don't care. While I'm watching the film, everything that's happening on that boat is real. Thank you. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I think it's silly. I think that actors, uh, stories about actors who are um, uh, the victims of their own secret private emotions and all that, they don't understand anything about acting. Acting is... Is a, is, a, is a reach. It's a reach, and in, and in Jaws, it's a successful reach that you've, you go for something that is not consistent, that is, in fact, kind of weird and uncommon, and uh, what's the phrase? Consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely going to be using that in conversation very shortly. <laughs> and what, I, what Robert and I had was an extraordinary affection. And I lost my sense of humor one afternoon, and it lasted for about two hours. Other than that, nothing. Did you improvise the line when Hooper walks away from it, he goes, ah, Captain, which is, which is one of my favorite lines. But somebody told me that you improvised that. Yeah. You did? Yeah. So that was true. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of it was yeah. true, but not meant to be. No, no, but I just, that's one of my favorite lines in the film, is you walking away from him going, ah, Captain. Yeah. Do you know that the, the line, I think this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. Beautiful friendship. Was also improvised. No. Yes. Yes. The greatest last line of a movie ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. And, and when uh, Robert says to me, you, cage goes into the water, shark in the water, you're in the cage. And he turns and says, Farewell and adieu to you, fair. No one knew he was going to sing that. <laughs> he had not planned to sing it. He sang it. And it was perfect. And that's what acting and acting in movies, when you're lucky, that's what it's about. You were Oscar nominated for Mr. Holland's Opus and you won an Oscar for The Goodbye Girl. And I remember going to see The Goodbye Girl and I, I, I loved it. And I'm going to play a clip from The Goodbye Girl, which I think has one of the funniest uh, lines in cinema. When, you know, and, uh, so I'm going to play this because I love this clip. And, uh, and also because you won an Oscar for it, which is great, but also largely because I like it. Okay, here we go. I'm not crazy about the arrangements. You're not. Definitely not. I'm paying the rent. I will make it a rules. I like to take showers every morning, and I don't like the panties drying on the rod. I like to cook, so I will use the kitchen whenever I damn well please. And I am very particular about my condiments, so keep your salt and pepper to yourself. Plus, 
I play the guitar in the middle of the night whenever I cannot sleep, and I meditate every morning, complete with chanting and burning incense, so if you've got to walk around, I'd appreciate a little tiptoeing. Also, I sleep in the nude. A buffo. Winter and summer, rain or snow, with the windows open. And because I may have to go to the potty or to the fridge in the middle of the night, and because I don't want to put on jammies, which I do not own in the first place, unless you're looking for a quick thrill or your daughter in advanced education, I would keep my door closed. Them's my rules and regulations. How does that break? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're here doing, um, you're going to, obviously you were here up in, in Edinburgh for the opening of The Astronaut, but you're doing it on stage, that's right, in uh, a couple of days' time, mm -hmm. at the, now, correct my pronunciation, because you told me this, it's not pronounced, so I thought it was pronounced. The Cadogan Hall? Yes. Um, I was told, I'm not the expert here, people who live in Scotland are. It's fine, you're Richard Dreyfus, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> The Beverly Hills police don't agree with him. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm going to talk about my life. I have 60 years. I actually have 60 years of uh, background experience doing something I passionately loved and getting paid an enormous amount of money to do it. <laughs> and I was appreciated all over the world. And I mean from still Nigeria. Pardon me? Still are appreciated. Could you speak into that? <laughs> um, it's a funny thing, people don't usually, do will you stop it? <laughs> it's how people can hear you at the back of the hall though. It's a <laughs> people don't really take the time to think about what it is when someone that they find is a star, becomes a star, forms a relationship with an actor on film, and what is that relationship? What is that all about? And I have thought more and, and uh, more in more detail than that, about that, than anything else. And I am, I have an epic humility about it. I'm, I'm just like knocked out. And I know the difference between me and everybody else who's uh, a leading actor. I know the difference between me and Humphrey Bogart. And what's the one common denominator that every romantic actor shares and is best uh, personified by Bogart in Casablanca? What is the one characteristic that everyone knows the moment it's spoken? All right, I'll tell you. <laughs> Every romantic leading man has a shared wound that has been scarring him 
by another woman. Everyone who's ever seen the first two minutes of Bogart's uh, Casablanca knows what I'm saying. And their wound is a, a living, festering, painful thing because they've been hurt by a woman. And you can't find a guy who doesn't have it. You can't. There are things that going to a film brings out in, in humanity and they become um, accessible to the least of us and, and, and nothing can separate it except winning your heart's desire. And I love this. I love, I, I, you know, this was the first time you did poetry. Wow. I'm, I'm a slow starter. <laughs> well, I, and I'm, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not a reader of poetry very often. I used to be. And, and I see this amazing conciseness that can send a bullseye right into your heart and in 17 syllables. It's amazing to me. And that's what film does. And film does it in its way, and we do it in our way. And, and to be human in front of humanity and to actually um, show your version of that pain is a privilege and an honor and watch me, watch me here. It's really good now. And uh, have anyone ever seen the movie Boomtown with Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable? Yes. Okay, one line. He loves her, she doesn't realize it, she's been eating it for years and he comes to visit. She's long, long married to Clark Gable, his partner. And she says, oh, I'm so glad to see you. It's so wonderful to see you. And he says, what's the matter? And she bursts into tears and says, he's having an affair. He's having an affair with Hedy Lamar. And then she says the single worst possible thing that she could possibly say. She says, you don't know what it's like to love someone who doesn't love you. And, and Tracy looks at her and says, no, no, I, I wouldn't know anything about that. And she realizes what's come out of her mouth and tries to make up for it. And uh, he leaves her and goes to Clark Gable's office and beats the shit out of her. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Dreyfus.
Well, there we go. B Manzini and Richard Dreyfus recorded live at the South Bank at my monthly MK3D show. If you like the sound of that show and you want to get tickets and come along in person, then go to the BFI website. Bear in mind, the tickets do sell out pretty fast. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, remember to subscribe and tell your friends. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.